We are here today with a special guest, Cassandra Taggart from RPM here in Anchorage. You have your co-hosts here, Matthew Lindsay with Precision Home Group and Jerry Fetter with Wealth Dynamics. We are here to talk today about everything, business, life, property management, real estate, talking to you guys about the story of origin from Cassandra, give her a little uh, background, and then we'll just jump right in. So, Cassandra, for this first segment here, what is your definition of never settle, like the mindset that is? It's actually a very, very, very difficult question to answer because you can't boil it into one answer if you think or one word right oh yeah if i was able to it would be the word precision like persistent sorry i like precision <laughs> that's true i copied your name there uh persistent you literally just keep chugging at it over and over and over and over and never give up that's really what it is um you just don't stop and you're hungry for the next thing you always have goals for the next thing if you stop having goals you stop having a hustle for something you know i like it and then you just fall backwards you don't want to do that no 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 <laughs> right so has that always been your definition or has that been like a, an adapted thing over time it's kind of one of those things where when you're young, you don't understand. You just know you want something. Mm. And then the next thing you know, you, as you get older, you start being able to define it. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you know, you're like, that's it. That's the aha moment of why you do what you do and how you get to what you're doing. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So what you're saying is that like, you know, when you start out, maybe um, you have goals and aspirations to do something. But as you get close to that goal, that those goals and aspirations get further and further out and grow bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. They do. They change. The definition changes. The, it, it, For example, when you were young, the definition of wealth was the ability to have a car. You or know, $5. Or $5, yeah. right? It goes from $5 to $20 to buying a piece of candy to having a bike mm -hmm. and then having a car. It's all about having something, right? Then as you get older, you realize wealth is actually the definition of time, the ability to have time for yourself to do what you want when you want it and the freedom to do it. If that makes sense, not a handicap of I'm just waiting for the next thing and asking permission on a job. It's I'm going to take it and own it. And I, it's mine. Love it. That's a fantastic definition. So it sounds like actually over time, as you've gotten closer to your goal, you've settled less and less. That's way to say it. Yeah, because it, it's not it's not about possession. It's about time. Which honestly, that's the truth of what I believe wealth is, and that's what caused it to never settle for anything small. It's to settle for something that's big. It's kind of like when you went and you used to work, you know, the subway job just to make ends meet, and then you got that real career job, and then you went, wait a minute, I'm asking permission for everything. Mm -hmm. Why? Why can't I just bank on my own self? My self is the best investment that there is. Mm -hmm. So then I said, okay, so let's find a way to make a business. And then I made a business. And next thing you know, I've got many businesses. And it just doesn't stop because you're just enjoying it so much. And now work doesn't feel like work. It feels like passion. I love that. I love that. You'd mentioned a couple different companies. And we started talking about passion and, you know, finding that passion, talking about the why um, in two different sectors, you know, one, what is the big why? What is the passion? And then two, asking why of like where you're at and never settling, you know, asking why I'm not doing something bigger, better um, with where you're at in your current situation. So I'd love to dive back into that. It kind of starts with the very, very, very first story I can ever think of. And it's kind of the thing that launched everything that I do in the future. Um, my brother is um, younger, younger brother. So okay. is the big sister. And what happened was is he always got picked on. 
because uh, he's dyslexic and got a couple other challenges as well. And what happened was he got picked on a lot on the school bus. And I have red hair. I got anger issues when I was a kid. And I said, you can't pick on people like that. I went from the back of the bus to the front of the bus, soccer punched the kid. And he got kicked off the bus. I got to stay on the bus because you don't pick on people. And the bus driver agreed. Um, I did fine. I didn't get caught until that kid's mom came to our front door and told my mom what happened. So my mom made me walk to school for a week. But what I learned is that I like to stand up for the people. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So over time, every time I see something wrong happening, instead of instead of complaining, mm-hmm. I become part of the solution. Okay. Um, a good example is I saw a lady go through a foreclosure all because some bad property manager took advantage of her. It ended up in a flood, mold, molded out her whole house. And I said, that's not right. You can't do that kind of stuff to people. So I ended up making a management company. Okay. Um, and then I kept going from there, if that makes sense. So I find a niche of where people are just getting hurt and I just solve it. And by solving it, you just happen to get rewarded with, with income, obviously. But... The next piece to that is now I think all the time, how can I help not just one people, not just a hundred, but thousands? So every decision that I make is, does it help thousands or just one? Because if it's just one, I don't listen to it. If it's thousands, I'll listen to it and follow the passion. I love that. You know, we've talked uh, here on the show and Jerry tested this as well several times about how, you know, uh, two different things I want to jump into is one, when you see a problem and you address a problem, always offer a solution. And that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then two is that, you know, people who are on mission have a passion. They're doing so by offering a solution to a problem. And that is what their business is based off of. And that's exactly what you're talking about. And there's really two types of businesses I see. You know, people will look at a business from the standpoint of upside opportunity, which is more of a, I guess you could say selfish, right? You're looking at, hey, what could I get out of this? And and a lot of times those are the businesses that fizzle out Mm -hmm. versus what I'm hearing from you is you're looking at where, like Massa, where is the problem? Where are people suffering? Where's the pain point? And bringing the solution to the table. And it initially sounds less glamorous, but it's the business that keeps on going. Right. Like property management, ugly, ugly business. Okay. We're dealing with lawsuits all the time. We're dealing with poop explosions. I got pictures for you if you need it. Uh, but the thing is, is that's, that's... I can vouch on the pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's gross. Anyways, the, the, that's the dirty part. But what keeps you going through all the nasty parts is, is the fact that every rental I'm helping is helping someone make money. Every rental I'm helping is helping them not have a mold explosion or a poop explosion. Or when they do have it, I already have the solutions to solve it. And, and it just keeps going from there. It's kind of like the webinars and classes that we do from the Landlord Club, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not just helping one person. I'm helping hundreds. And it bleeds to those hundreds are helping other hundreds and word of mouth just keeps going. And next thing you know, it's making the book go. It's making the classes go, the webinars go, all the other stuff happen. And you're just helping. And in return, you're getting the income accordingly. But that's what makes you get out of bed. Yeah, definitely. And you just briefly mentioned this. I don't know if a lot of our our, uh, listeners here really know everything you're in. So I just wanted to touch on real quick the Landlord's Almanac, what that is. Um, where it can be found, where they can get more information on it. Um, it's something that I've been a part of and I find great value in. And I send all of my multifamily, anybody interested in investing, even if they have an idea that they want to in the future, 
I always send them to it. So I love you know some more information about Landlords Almanac so people know where to go to find uh, find out about it. Sure, it's um, the Landlords Almanac. It's a club of just mostly DIY landlords. It's a membership of about 850 now. And there's a meetup.com is where we post all the classes. And then there's a private Facebook group for the members where they sit there and chat. They post questions that they have and the group chimes in and helps each other get through the problem. And so that way they're doing it profitably, not painfully. And they can use that advancement in cash from not paying for mistakes to keep buying more rentals and more investments that they need in their future. That's amazing. And they have monthly meetups where they have different classes that they put on here in Anchorage free of charge. It's both great networking to get around other people doing the real estate game, investing in real estate, whether it's a single family, you know, multifamily or commercially, like whatever it is, it's a great place to meet with like-minded people. And it's also excellent, you know, uh, hands-on experience education that people can actually find out what's going on in that property management world, what to expect um, and connect with other people. Yeah, it's set up like a workshop, no sales pitch. And and most of the classes and the speaking and all the ideas come from the group. So if they all say they're having problems with screening, we start talking about screening. Um, but it's workshops, so they can fill out questions and answers and memorize it and do better decisions. Awesome. So I took a little sidetrack there. Sorry about that. I just wanted everyone to hear about Landlord's Almanac. It's, it's uh, excellent value, and uh, it's helped a lot of people. And what I heard you say there was no sales pitch. I think that's big. There's a lot of... Uh, like the the three day the weekend meeting you know the one day event those are becoming very popular I think they've always kind of been there but they're resurfacing and a lot of times that is you know a little bit of content but there is an end goal and so what I've seen with you guys in your event is you're there you know consistently educating like you said um, and and I don't I don't know if you intentionally just said this but I caught it so Warren Buffett one of my favorite all time investors his number one rule about money or about investing is don't lose money second is follow rule number one. And so you said, you know, helping people become profitable by avoiding those painful situations where they would be losing money. And and that's when I first spoke with you guys, you know, last year, the year before. That's what resounded is that investment minded philosophy where they're not just getting into a property. You guys are really helping them manage it and run it like a business. Yeah. And What's funny is rentals, it's easy to get into the emotional swing of everything. Somebody's yelling, someone said something that hurts someone's feeling, blah, 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 right? But but you have to remember rentals is a business. And that's actually why I wrote the book is because it, ca- it talks about the certain things that you need to put in place to actually run it like a business and why you make certain decisions of do you accept pets or do you not accept pets? And if you follow the basic formulas of management, it makes it to where you'll actually make profit and it won't be a painful process. The second is a painful process. They give up and quit and go back to their nine to five job. And then you and I know that's a bad idea because they're not going to ever retire mm. on nine to five for 40 years. It's just not going to happen really anymore. Um, so you have to have rentals. You have to have investments to build that wealth to live on it, right? Exactly. So, yeah, got to keep going. Got to keep learning. My quote is education is key. That is Mm-hmm. Education is huge. And that's what I love about the books. And I, I kind of want to address the book. So um, I have actually all of my clients read it. Um, and, and um, you know, oftentimes from a consumer standpoint, when someone writes a book, the idea is, OK, this person's just trying to sell a book. Uh, you can probably vouch people don't make money on books. No, um, no. there's no, there's not much profit unless you're like a Tony Robbins. <laughs> yeah. So so pain or profit was about, you know, real estate, but also there's more pain than profit in writing a book. And so that's part of what I see in Cass's mission. I mean, you dropped probably just at my office, probably 40 books off mm-hmm. um, just for people to read and start diving into. So it really is like Cass said, education based 
focusing on giving people information. And, and if you look at, you know, if you look at wealth, right, the top 1% of wealth, you can't really say that the other 99% are just idiots. Hmm. Um, it's missing information. So can you kind of talk about like, you know, what inspired you from running a business to saying, all right, it's time to write a book. It's time to start getting the information out there. My my whole driver and everything that I do is not helping one, but helping hundreds, thousands. And I found myself repeating myself all the time. I kept saying, okay, this is how you handle pets. These are the risk decisions that you make. This is how you make this decision. This is how you make decisions and how you weigh the risk of making a decision in a business, right? Um, so instead of repeating myself, I decided to just make the book. So every time I repeated myself, I'd make a chapter, write it out. And um, it took a while. It took me 10 months, but it's 10 months of real experiences, real stories that you could use as examples with everyone. And then they can learn from that. And then what happens is someone will ask me a question and I'll quote part of the book. So I'm just copying and pasting what I've already said. And I'm not having to spend time, waste time saying something I've already said, but I'm able to leverage time to work in my favor and help thousands, not just one. So that's what motivated the book, and that's what's helping people continue reading the book and using it as leverage. Um, I saw a guy the other day reading it. He's out in the valley, and he's using that because he, he got an inheritance, and he's using that to decide which property to buy. Because if you buy the wrong property, you go backwards. Yep. If you buy the right property, you'll just launch and snowball into amazingness. Mm -hmm. um, so so it's education is key, and you got to pile it all together and make a decision. But if you're missing an element... You're never going to get very far. That's the difference between the 99 and the 1%. The 1%, right. what do they do? Read like 60 books a year minimum? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. That's where most of my ideas come from is reading mass amounts of information, whether it's articles or books. Um, I read a thing the other day and they said, I think it was Gary Vee actually who said this. Um, he said, learning comes in all forms, not just one form. So you got to soak up all the forms that you can that's applicable for you and your learning style. So that way you can actually move forward and not stay behind. So this is applicable to a lot of stuff. I love the the methodology that you had on the book. So like family, if you're, you're going to have more than three kids, I would say write a book on the third one. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to, you're going to start repeating yourself. If you're going to have 10, definitely write a book, but it's not just, I mean, that concept it's, it's tried and true is what I'm hearing is it's stuff that you saw repetition and over time, this consistently comes up and consistently works. Mm -hmm. And that's genius. Cause really what happens a lot of times in business, you probably see this a lot is, um, as a as a business person or as a salesperson, that individual may feel like their value is the information. It's kind of like the concept of going to a car dealership and not putting the price on the window. It's the insecurity of, well, if I let this out there, then what's my value? And so a very strong thing that I see from you is you realize your value is a lot more than just the information and being willing to put that out there. You know, your information is going to be in the value or your value is going to be in, in the service you provide, not you know, see, see keeping the information closed in secret so people feel like there's that scarcity. And and what's also interesting is I'm in an industry of property management, and, and you'll see this in real estate as well. Um, there's Zillow's for everything that we do, right? Oh, yeah. There's Zillow's for all the MLS searching. There's there's now Cozy.co for, for replacing all my stuff for management. So you really only need a manager or real estate agent for a particular consulting set, right? So you need a real estate agent that understands the concepts and the ability to negotiate and help with the strategy and the forward momentum. You need a wealth advisor to understand how to get to that point to even start negotiations, right? And you need a property manager that's going to sit there and negotiate and strategize to keep your money so you can move forward, right? If you're missing that consulting piece, 
you're not going to finish connecting of the dots. Mm -hmm. um, you can't um, you can't stop at just one thing. You have to use resources of time, resources of professionals, resources of leverage to actually get through and connect and actually make forward momentum. Is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that I wanted to jump back into, I'm going to take it back a little bit here, um, you know, is the time thing. So you had mentioned, um, you know, leveraging time and you had to get in front of more people. So that's why you wrote the book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we kind of blew through that and it's just, you know, that's pure gold right there. Mm. Pure gold. Um, not many people understand the value of time and they, you know, they're like money, money, money. And everyone's heard time is money, but do they really understand the concept? Do they really conceptualize what that means um, and the true value behind it? So I just wanted to go back, touch on that. How do we leverage different things to gain us more time? You know, what are, what are some other things? You, you, you utilize the book so that, you know, you could individually speak to many different individuals um, taking time and distance out of the equation because, you know, someone could be reading your book in lower 48 and, and, you know, anywhere here in Alaska. And you could be individually speaking to those people um, all across the country at one time, right? I think a good way to talk about leveraging of time is think about everything that you do that you hate, hire that out, right? I hate picking up my dog poo. I have someone doing that. I hate cleaning my house. I have someone doing that. I hate cooking, but luckily my husband loves cooking. So that works out just fine. Um, but you sit there and go, okay, if I get rid of all the things I hate and only do the things I care about and I'm passionate about and I love doing, which is helping thousands, not one, then it's just going to launch into this massive growth. Exactly. So when you leverage time in your content, like mm -hmm. books, podcasts, audio, visual, however method you feel comfortable with or all, whatever works, social media, um, you're able to touch thousands and you're able to do what you do very well. Exactly. Not, not focusing on house cleaning, which I hate. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Who us loves? how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> Who loves scrubbing a toilet? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so you just outsource it and leverage your time. And when you start figuring out how to leverage your time and you use your passive cash flow to leverage the time, then you can speed it up. Exponentially. It's, it's a snowball effect that just booms. Um, when I started, I was working three jobs and that was hard. I was tossing newspapers, working a bank job, working a FedEx graveyard. And during that time, I was also going to school and figuring out how to get the real estate license to start. So it just kept snowballing from there. And now I don't really have a job. I show up to work when I need to, but I show up out of work because I want to help somebody. That's mm -hmm. amazing. But we want to know, Cass, what's, what's the real story, like the backstory? Not everybody gets involved in entrepreneurism. The statistics say that most people do end up quitting. So what is it that has happened in your life that's transpired that brought you to where you are today and really has inspired you to go where you're going? There's kind of two parts to that. You got rentals was just the vehicle and then the inspiration of the entrepreneurship. Rent, my grandfather did rentals. He had 20 rental properties. And as a kid, we had to go clean them up. <laughs> and we'd come in with dirty shoes and say, can you pay rent? I can't buy new shoes. The stories back in the day, you knock on the door and make things happen. Mm -hmm. uh, not anymore. But so that launched into when I was 18, I bought my first rental and I just kept going from there for the several years after that. The entrepreneurship, it was kind of interesting because I watched my father. Uh, he owns an electrician company and a land developing business. 
Uh, both are businesses, and I got to see him go through a couple bankruptcies. I got to see him go through the lows of the lows and literally being homeless and poor. And then my mom, same story, she was homeless and poor. And we, we spent some time on the streets. Anyways, the those moments, it kind of scared you from entrepreneurship. But then I watched him get out of that. Okay. And then I watched him, what happened on the end. Does that make sense? And where he is today. Yeah. And it was worth every weight and ounce of that gold and sweat equity that he did. And it it was really cool to watch my grandfather retiring at the age of 45 with the rentals um, and using the pension from his job that he had for several years. But watching those two stories and then what's funny is my grandfather raised um, my uncle and my mom, go get a job, go get a job, go no have credit cards, build savings, do the old fashioned way, right? They're still working. They're still not doing as well. I'm double the value of what they are, and I'm half the age of them, all because I followed what my father did and my grandfather did, not what society told them to do. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I used that to keep launching to my forward momentum. Um, I didn't want to be poor anymore, but I didn't want to be the richy snobby wealth, right? Mm-hmm. That's what people think rich is. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be what was valuable. Um, so that's where it kept launching into entrepreneurial. That's where it kept launching into doing ve- the vehicle of this path was through rentals. Okay. Um, so that launches into where it is today. Where we're going next is actually very fascinating. Um, right now, we're sitting around 500 rentals uh, RPM. Our goal is to sit at 1,500 rentals. We want to take market share. We want to be literally so large that we're helping majority of the Anchorage and Matsu Valley area. So that's that particular goal. The other goal is is we're launching into more of how to make seminars help other businesses. So we're using that as a vehicle. We've been doing seminars and classes, helping others be able to do this same thing in their local market. Um, And then the third thing that we're doing is we're launching more of a speaking situation where we can actually go and speak. I've got a couple events booked where we're helping local chapters of various places Um, Like the women chapter, uh, there's an Ames chapter coming up and there's some other stuff where we're going to be speaking there trying to help others do startups and use um, our story to launch their story. Gotcha. So so it's not helping one, it's helping business owners start where the business owners can help thousand. I love it. So it it bleeds. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we're going. Okay. Um, So we're not stopping here. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're talking to you today about uh, property management, about rentals. Um, that's played a huge role in, in your life and in your journey here um, as it comes to investing and, and growing and building that wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know that you guys have some other plans that's outside of real estate um, to help you guys grow and do stuff. And you mentioned the speaking, you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, working with other chapters, uh, some more of the more education. So, you know, when you are thinking about investments for the future and stuff like that, it's not always just real estate, right? No, it's not. It's what's funny is that there was a there was a script I read, and I believe it was Robert Kiyosaki, like chapter two or something in his very first original book. He said, "Let let your businesses pay for your rentals." And I never really understood that because rentals was what helped you got started. Is mm-hmm. how I thought of everything. But really, you need your income to pay for your rentals, and your rentals is like that big long term plan, that big long growth. It's that thing that makes you jump up in categories, mm-hmm. right? So so. Every time I make a a business that has like a million in revenue plus, 
I take that cash and I don't live on that cash. I take that cash and I'm plopping it over here to rentals. That's going to launch me into having unlimited time to do whatever I want, whenever I want. So if I feel like going to Paris next week and I can go, nothing's stopping me. And then I can use those moments of like going and listening to other big speakers to launch another thing that's going to help somewhere else. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? So you're using it to allow you to have time to do personal growth and you don't stop with just, okay, I got one business that's cash flowing this, I'm done. You're using it to launch to challenge yourself. How good can I hire and fire employees? How good can I make a high-performance team produce so I don't have to be there? How, how many people can I help reproduce this type of thing and watch other millionaires become millionaires? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's like checkboxing a story when you're 80. I help so many people become millionaires. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of a thing, you know? It's not I had two kids and that was my story. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody's kind of got that story. Don't forget we had the white <laughs> so, picket fence too. Yes, yes, don't forget <laughs> cookie cutter house, white picket fence with the same car. Uh, I guess in Alaska it'd be kind of like, you know, mid-range kind of car or pickup truck, right? Or a Subaru. Subaru, I was about to say that. So, yeah, no, I just I just really appreciate you going into that and like different investments that, you know, you can pay for your real estate out of other things and when a, when a lot of people are listening and talking here in town, they're like, uh, real estate, real estate, real estate's the only investment. I know I'm going to aim this a little bit more towards Jerry for a little bit. Um, you had a list of, you know, your top investments and what they are and real estate's not necessarily number one on that list, is it? And what is that? Yeah. So I, I agree with what Cass said. So a lot of times when I consult with people on wealth building, and this is where you and I had some affinity right off the bat. Um, you know, a lot of folks get very focused on getting into the first rental property and using you know, like a FHA loan or a VA loan, which are just a subsidized loan program. Um, and, and we're in agreement that that's not sustainable. It's not a scalable business. Totally agree. Um, and so like Cass said, you have to have income. And so I, I teach people the same thing. Your first best investment is yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when you start looking at it in that sense, you do start looking at how can I start producing income? So I think the first thing people need to be looking at is how do I increase my knowledge? How do I increase my ability? Uh, you know, how do I start producing income that I have control over? And it comes down to that concept of monetary velocity. How fast does the money move? In real estate, the money moves very slow, but it's consistent. And so that's a game where you're stacking you know, $150 a door or $200 a door per month and seeing how many of those doors can I get. But the businesses have to be, you know, margin. Can I make a lot of money on a deal? And then can I do a lot of those deals and get a lot of, you know, extra cash set aside to put into real estate? So I like that. And and I also do like looking at, um, you know, real estate from the standpoint of maybe getting in from the private lending side or the equity side where you are scaling into it a little bit faster and that's a way that people can start to test markets and find out more about the property without jumping full in and 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 doing the landlording and all of that right off the bat if they want to dip their toe into it. So, yeah, I mean, does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Talking about you know businesses um, can be just as just as good, if not better, you know, uh, for investment and then focusing on your income. And I and I think you said something real key. It's real estate in general. So so you got hard money lending, you got syndication, you got mm-hmm. RITs, you got different types of stocks that can get into it. You've got it, it, it's endless, mm-hmm. right? You can become the lender, you can be the financer, you can now be the credit card, you can now be all kinds of things, right? With some knowledge, you can pick which vehicle is best for you. But everything in society of America has surrounded around real estate, if you think about it. So real estate's just the vehicle. 
possible, but yep. you, you need education. Then you need to create the volume to create the income. And then you need to get it over into the investing vehicle, wherever it is around real estate. Then you get to sit on your loyals and go, hey, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a process, you know, and it's just up to you how fast you want that process. And it boils down to education is key to make that process happen. Mm-hmm. I kind of picture it like, you know, on those National Geographic shows where they show the ocean and the whales and the whales have all like the algae and all the stuff coming off of them. Real estate's like the whale. And, and so what Cass is saying is that there are literally economies built around real estate. And, and it's great because it does remove you a little bit from some of the risks. If you look at the stock market, if you're in the rental market, your rents didn't drop just because the S&P went down. I mean, you're, you're not in that same story. So there's more control over it. And that is what I love. But like Cass said, you have to have the income. You have to be able to make that happen some way, somehow. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's three jobs and sliding on ice with delivering newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Pain or profit, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> sometimes that hurts. <laughs> so, there. I mean, we, uh, you know, I'm just going to jump back. Um, Jerry and I went over to a, a conference recently uh, over at the 10X Growth Con down in Vegas. Um, we were down there, had some great speakers. One of the things that stuck out to me is one of the quotes, and I'm going to butcher it, um, but it. is that money doesn't have any value till it's spent. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that kind of aligns right here with us with what we're talking about income here. Um, you know, we're not money doesn't have any value until it's spent. So utilize the money. People, um, like Cass was saying earlier, had the mindset of family members who just like save, 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 don't use credit, don't leverage, um, don't do any of that. Um, and that's all fine and dandy, but at the end of the day, if you're if you're not saving to invest, saving to leverage that money, saving to do something with that, then what what good is that money? You ready for this? Let me have it. People that save money are financial bench warmers. Ooh. So if you think about if you go back to before there was money, you know I have chickens. Yep. Cass has pigs. You've got cows. And so I'm saying, all right, I have chickens and eggs, but I need some milk. So if I go to you and you've got cows and I say, Matt, I want some milk. And you say, well, I don't need chickens. I need, I need bacon. So I've got to go to Cass and trade Cass my eggs for her bacon. And now I've got bacon and I can go bring you the bacon and get the milk. That's a very ineffective way to exchange. And so that's why money was created. Mm -hmm. So somewhere along the way, somebody got caught up in the arbitrary, which is that green dollar or that silver coin and Mm -hmm. said, I'm just going to start stacking these up. Yeah. So I'm not getting bacon. I'm not getting eggs. I'm not getting milk. I'm just getting green pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. And and that's really what it is. So people that are just racking it up, they're not getting any sort of exchange and vice versa. They're not giving any sort of exchange. They're, they're not just bench warming themselves in the economy. They're robbing other people of value. Exactly. I, I just came up with that. Ooh, man. That's bacon. Like, that's out of a book eggs. lately. Milk. Yeah. What book was that? Was it the Babylon book? I can't remember. Bridges Man in Babylon. Yeah, yeah. that's a great book that yeah. teaches that. Yeah, yeah they talk about the exchange of the dollar. It's not really the dollar, the paper. It's the the value of what it can produce, and it's the yep. value of what it can spend. It's the value of what it could create. Now, in this day and age, when they introduced leverage of credit cards and all that other stuff, um, you can now use it to leverage and hyper jump. And exactly. It, it's amazing if you really understand the power of the money. It's not It's not so much understanding the, the value of a dollar. It's so much understanding the value of how that dollar moves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if I can figure out, okay, my first hire was a receptionist and a maintenance guy. And I said, okay, a receptionist costs this much. It was like 800 bucks, 1600 bucks a month, right? And then the maintenance guys cost this, but this one's going to produce money because every time he works, I make this, which then will pay for her. 
I just found a way to make two without ever taking money out of my pocket. And then it started leveraging to where I had time to go market. I had time to go make phone calls and cold call and and get things in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hear lots of things about that conference. You're going to have to tell us more. Oh, yeah. What else did you pick up? There's there's some big gold nuggets in there for sure. Yeah. So I guess, you know, another one of my thing, another couple of things that I pulled from it and jump in here as well, Jerry. Um, one is, you know, you're you have to go big, go big. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole conference was 10x growth con. So, you know, 10x your goals, multiply it by 10 um, and you're going to hit way more than you would have with your original goal. Right. So that in a nutshell, you know, another couple things that I took from it is, uh, you know, I guess that that uh, get in the proximity of power. You know, if you're just going to stay in your comfort zone and you're just going to do the grind, as everyone says, and put your head down, um, you are losing um, the ability to grow exponentially. You need to get around those, get around people who are doing big things, making big plays, um, get into proximity of power. And by doing so, you're going to be able to have the connections, the knowledge, the know-how, um, and getting around experts in their field to be able to exponentially grow. Mm-hmm. I had a pastor one time tell me, he said, um, not a pastor, he was a pastor that got into understanding the money movement and, made, and had a Bentley and it was all excited he had a Bentley. <laughs> Anyways, he, he told me, um, he said, the friends that you have today are not the friends you're going to have tomorrow. Exactly. And at first, my first response was, oh my gosh, you hurt my feelings because my friend, since sixth grade, it's going to be my friend. Um, but then I realized that if I want to understand how money moves, I have to change who I'm around and who already understands how money moves. Exactly. And when I started surrounding myself with that, then they opened my doors to books. They opened my door to speakers. They opened my doors to other people that I should research about X, Y, Z to make money move. And next thing you know, my friends I had yesterday are not my friends I have today. I have many friends that specialize in different things that coach and mentor me to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I get to that next level, I go to the next level. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't stop. It keeps going. One, oh. I was going to say one thing I picked up, and I, I'm going to actually go back to your book on this. So at, at the conference, because I've been to many of these types of conferences, and so you know, I was really, um, I guess, categorizing people. I know that sounds probably not right, but I was definitely profiling people pretty hard there. No, and I sure. came up with the profile of, you know, there's groups groups that came because their friends came. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's the same in life and business is following the crowd and doing what others did. There's groups that came there to, to you know, basically ne- to learn and actually get, get content from the conference and the speakers. There was people that were starstruck. So they were just trying to get a picture with Damon John or Grant Cardone and said so they would pay the thousand dollars for that. And then there was also people that I was watching that they were there to, like Matt said, network, do business and meet people. Uh, And and as I was doing that, I realized as I pulled back and and I was watching these speakers, I wasn't listening to what they were saying from like a sub an objective, like, Hey, this guy's talking about marketing, but I was watching them and observing them. And so I was looking at what are they doing? Why are they saying what they're saying and really trying to figure out their strategy. Mm -hmm. And so to go back to Cass's book, if I own rental properties, I want to go work with someone that knows systems exactly. and what you built was a system. So I want to learn from you because you've, you've figured out, all right, these are the steps and that's the behavior that I want to learn to turn my rental properties into a business. So I don't want to go to the person that maybe owns the most rentals. I want to go to the person that knows the systems 
so that I can scale my business out. And so that was probably the biggest thing I got from that conference is just observing, you know, why do people do things? And I think a lot of times, especially in business and in real estate, like you said, Cass, we can get caught up in this dude's late on rent or these people are feuding or the dog's got in a fight uh, and really forget the big picture of why somebody got into it, which is to build generational wealth. Exactly. So there's really, really good points here. Talking about the 10x growth con conference down in Vegas, we just came back from from talking about business life, how they are intertwined, how are they the same thing, um, and what we pulled from that conference. So just a quick recap of what you had. Um, can you just run through that again? Yeah, really just the systems. So, mm -hmm. so we were just talking a little bit about how Cash wrote this book, Pain or Profit. And, and for me, if I'm looking at coming to her as a client, the, the book is almost more valuable than the commodity of property management because the book tells me that Cass understands systems. As a landlord, that's what I want. I want systems. And, and I wrote that article a couple months ago and didn't, didn't hit everybody. The realtors didn't like it so much. But, you know, you can't just buy real estate. If you buy real estate, you end up with a mess. So you need real estate and that's the asset and you need people to run it and you need systems. So by doing that with the book, Cass is demonstrating, I know systems. I know how to put something, an idea, a concept into a format and duplicate it out. I love it. To kind of connect your dots, um, two points. Education is key. Rentals is just a vehicle, but rentals is a business. Um, so when I started out, yeah, I bought my first rental at 18. I thought I knew what I was doing because I did grandpa's. But where I learned how to do things was through systems. I made it a personal project for a year. Um, to go and study every CEO that I could. What system they did do? Why did they make this type of employee setup? Why did they make this game, this play within the business? Small businesses, big businesses. I've read good to greats, all the different styles. Um, from that generated how how you handle creating the system to actually generate revenue, not only for the client, but also for the business, right? So like all the way down to how do you do customer satisfaction? How do you do um, when the rent late, when the rent check is late? Do you have processes and procedures exactly what to do, when to do it? And it's on the calendar for all, the whole year. And do you have the right people in the chair to do it? That whole system is what makes an end product, right? Same mm -hmm. thing with rentals. You have, you have to have a system of people and professionals around you to get through the system. And then when you finally get the system, then you need to learn how to manage it. And you need to learn how to manage the manager, right? It's not how to be a manager sometimes. And sometimes you have to, depending on how you got into the rental. But sometimes you need to sit down and go, how do you manage the manager? Uh, I actually did a podcast on that particular topic of how to manage the manager. But during that process, you're surrounding yourself with other people, right? And, and you're learning how to create the system to do everything. You're learning how to leverage your time. You're learning how to connect all these dots to make it become a circle effect of producing forwardness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's like, you hit two things in there that I, I stress all the time with my clients. And again, just total agreement on this, um, you know, the systems and then knowing how to manage. And, and I've heard you and Eric actually say this before is that you would almost rather have a client have to self-manage and figure out all the problems before they come to you. And, and in business, one of the principles I follow is if you bypass somebody on their job, you end up with it forever. So basically a lot of problems that happen in the property space is people will come into to a property and not understand what a manager does, the trouble that they're going to go through, et cetera. And so when the first thing comes up, they flare up and they try and bypass the manager and get their hands all over everything. And so that's why the systems have to be there. Mm -hmm. and, and the community has to be there too. So you have somebody, it's almost like 
you know, just accountability and having somebody vent to you and say, hey, my properties are going through this. What did you do there? Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, oh, crap, and then trying to, you know, pull the management team off of it and, you know, get everything, you know, the way you think it should be when really the system would have managed it out and organized it all for you. To kind of like just make it simple, think think about it like in a co-working space. You're working with a co-worker and you see a receptionist doing something. And instead of teaching and guiding that receptionist or learning how to teach and guide that receptionist, you just go in there and say, I can do it better and do it myself. Then you're circumventing the whole system and you're never going to gain momentum because you're sitting there running around with your head cut off, just fixing other people's systems the way you think it should be done when you're not even really the expert. You're supposed to be the expert of how to manage the manager or how to manage the team or how to work with a team to make a team hyper perform for you. Right. You're not supposed and you're not supposed to be the one that's doing. Um, otherwise, you're just going to sit there and spend circle on time and energy and never make any momentum. Mm-hmm. It's all about leveraging people and time and who are in those buckets to be able to pull it off. Mm-hmm. And Matt, this goes back to what you said about, uh, you know, if you spend all your time grinding and not doing the bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. It, like Cass said, if you're spending all your time beating up the secretary and picking on her, you're not going to go make the merger happen to grow the business. Exactly. So I wanted to go off topic here for a second. Let's I'm going to take it from systems and tools, take it back to 10X, and then bring it back to you about systems and tools. Gotcha. And maybe even tools we met at 10X. Yeah. So it's going to be a circle. Mm. So we're talking. Yep, yep. So we're talking about <laughs> systems and tools. Um, you know, some of those things could be. I'm just going to jump straight into it. Uh, ClickFunnels, Shopify. Uh, you know, some of these different marketing and sales tools that people have for their business. So when we're at 10x, there's several people talking about. You know, and we've all heard of them. The I made millions online selling a product. I made millions through ClickFunnels. I made. I only work five minutes a week. And uh, I make I make millions. Right. And we've heard of these success, as we call them, stories. But at the end of the day, what I wanted to talk about is those are just systems Mm -hmm. because we have people selling other people's products. Maybe we have people, you know, sitting behind the keyboard and, and not building a personal brand. We have people that claim that they have several businesses. But is it truly a business? And that's the question I want to talk about here is, is it truly a business? And can you have a sustainable business without a personal brand? And can you have a sustainable business without some type of um, public figure, without some type of um, something to advertise where it's not just a shopping cart or funnel that you put in behind online? No one knows who you are or where it came from. So what are your guys' thoughts? Jerry first. Yeah, so I I think... I think the the click funnels, all of that stuff, like you said, it's a tool. Yep. It doesn't solve for for discipline, behavior, and, and habits, and even the systems, like Cass said. So, like we were at 10x, there was probably 10,000 people. I bet probably you know 10 to 15 percent of the room got up and they they bought this click funnels package because they thought it was the magic that was going to change their business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the reality is, is I bought that thing probably two years ago, and the first thing I realized was, shoot, I don't have time to learn this. I'm going to go pay someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to realize that there's not a magic silver bullet. At the end of the day, it comes down to like you're saying running a business. Uh, and that's what I love about, you know, Cass and Eric and you and Alicia is um, we've never once talked about the four hour work week. Mm-hmm. We've, we've always talked about, all right, how do I how do I live on purpose and and how do I build my business and, and build my brand and affect people? 
Um, and I, I got to spend probably two hours backstage with Ed Milet at World Financial Group. And he he went uh, he, he opened up the playbook on who had how much. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised which speakers actually had assets and which ones didn't at that event. And a lot of those that were pushing product were the ones that didn't have assets. Mm-hmm. And, and so that goes back to what Cass said. They're racking cash, maybe, or mm-hmm. they might not even be racking cash, but they're not putting it aside and actually growing and building wealth. So mm-hmm. you can work five minutes. You're not going to build assets and wealth with five minutes a week, though. Exactly. I, I 100% agree with you. So, uh, And then the last question I want uh, to ask you, Jerry, before we move on to Cass is, can you build a sustainable long-term you know, business that builds generational wealth for the owner and their family and everything like that. Do you think that you can do that without a personal brand for the company? What do you think? No, sir. And the reason why, if you're not building a personal brand, that's not a neutral activity. So the individual that's not building a personal brand, they're actually suppressing themselves. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're purposefully holding themselves down and preventing themselves from getting out there. And it's usually rooted in like fear of what other people think. So if you're running your business off of what other people think, you're never going to grow it to the level it's going to get to to really be an amazing business and have generational wealth. At some point, you're going to stop doing it because you're afraid of what other people are going to say if you go to that next level. Mm -hmm. I love it. So if you sell a product or you sell a service, it doesn't matter. You need some type of personal brand. You need to be the face of that company and people need to know who they're doing business with and more so why they're doing business with you. Mm-hmm. So Cass, same thing for you. I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on people using these, these what I call tools um, for building a business and trying to make a business behind them? And then second, um, what are your thoughts on building a personal brand and running a business and having a legitimate long-term minded business because of that? So I'm going to kind of do it from a story perspective. Okay. Um, yes. One of the, one of the companies we have is, is is called Highmark, and what that that company does is it's a consulting firm teaching people how to do seminars, right? Okay. And they and they first said, well, you did all your seminars based on rentals. How is that even applying to the other industries? Well, it's so funny because I coached a shoe company to follow the same formula, the same process, and guess what? They're now doing shoe parties with the local fire tap and da 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 da. And now they're having wild success. Okay. Then you've got, um, we did this with another company where where we said, okay, here you go. You, you take this formula, you make this class, you do it this way, you follow this formula, follow this process, and then they became wildly successful where they had to turn off marketing because it was so popular. But That's a when good you find, but the trick was, is that when you find the formula that works, stick to it and mm-hmm. do it faster, more, bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, go big with it. Yeah. Right. Don't don't sit there and go. I bought a magic pill and expect it to happen tomorrow. You you need to find what works, stick to it, be consistent, do it over, 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 and then let systems, people, mimic it and do it so it can be sustainable, and then you go do the next one. And then you just check in on it and make sure it still keeps going. Um, I don't think you can do any business without a leadership or without a brand. But I also think every company boils down to a three-part system. You've got your sales, you got your service, and you got your operations. Without one of those, you're weak. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality of any industry. If you're missing sales, you're not growing. If you're missing service, you're not retaining. And if you don't have operations, you can't maintain. Um, it's just how it works, whether it's your business or real estate. If you don't have that formula, it's not going to go. Um, so therefore, you have to have a leader, a brand, to make that formula be something. Otherwise, what's the point? I love it. I love it. Can I stick the cherry on top? I'm still stuck on this ClickFunnels <laughs> thing. 
Sure. So, yes. Is there going to be some whipped cream too? We'll do some whipped cream <laughs> oh, too. Oh, no, no, so, no. <laughs> so the mindset behind, and I won't say everybody, yep. a lot of people that buy these magic tools, mm-hmm. the mindset that caused them to buy that is the reason that they haven't yet succeeded and mm-hmm. also the reason they won't succeed with it. It's no different than the person that buys a fourplex and they think that that's the key. It's the get rich quick mindset. Mm-hmm. It's so the immediate gratification. And that's the problem we're having right now. Everyone thinks entrepreneur is cool, but they don't want to do the hard work. They all think, let's just buy a fourplex and I'll be cash flowing. It doesn't work. You have to do mm-hmm. the formula. You have to do the hard work, but not to the point of grinding. Exactly. And there's so many people in today's day and age that it's like that instant, like you're saying, the instant gratification. So, you know, they'll put in. They'll put in a couple months in a new business venture or new idea, um, whether that's real estate, selling insurance or whatever it is. And they're like, I'm not seeing the results I want at this point. Um, So maybe I'll go chase, you know, another business venture. Maybe I'll go start a networking, you know, M to M type of deal. Maybe I'll start a new business or jump into this Um, to think about it. Like think of a, of a marathon, you know, you got 26 miles. Um, at that finish line is going to be your wild success. That's the analogy here, right? So if you got people going like three miles in on a on a 26 mile marathon, and they still looking forward, and they still have you know 23 more miles to go, and they're like, oh man, I, get, I just got so far to go. Well, maybe this next this marathon over here is going to be better. So mm-hmm. they go and they run, you know, m- maybe five miles on that one, but they still got 21 miles to go till they hit that success, hit that hit the big win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're just like turn around and be like, oh, that's so far to keep going. So they'll go start another one. And before you know it, they've ran the 26 miles and like 10 different events. And they would have been so much further along had they stick, committed, uh, made a decision that they are going to succeed no matter what, and then just committed. And what happens there too, there's two things. So they're conditioning themselves to quit. Yep. And they're conditioning themselves to only run five miles. Yeah. So the more they do it, the more it's going to happen. It's a continual habit. It turns into a behavioral mechanism. Exactly. But every successful business owner or entrepreneur or investor, they will have 60, 100 no's before they get their yes. And nothing stops them because they know they can go past 100 no's to get what they want. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they just keep grinding that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't stop at the first no and quit and start over going, oh, grass is greener on the other side. It just doesn't work that way. It mm-hmm. really doesn't. Um, you know, certain businesses will take three, five years before they produce a cash flow sometimes, depending on the setup. And, and you can't just quit on year one. You'll never get anywhere. You'll keep losing all your money. Yep. You'll go broke. And then everyone thinks you're a flake because you're just starting over, starting over, starting over, and they don't want to buy anything from you or deal with you anymore because exactly. you lost trust. And then you have all these people there say, oh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh-huh. What does that even mean? Have you, have you heard that? <laughs> uh, you know, you have all these people who be like, I got this business, this like business. Quaker this. Oats? Like- yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a new uh, breakfast cereal. Maybe afternoon cereal. I'll try it. Yeah. But they're like, you know, I'm a cereal I might quit though. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, they're like, I own multiple businesses and all this kind of stuff. And it's the same mentality of like, they got their hands in so many different areas that they can't succeed at one, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're giving part of it. They don't know how to properly leverage time. um, And they're just out there. It's almost like a badge, you know, like I own several businesses. 
So you should listen to me type of oh, thing. People do this on rentals all the time. There, there was a couple that came to us uh, two years ago and they said, I own, I own 15 rentals and da-da-da-da-da. I have another one that said I own 80, 87 rentals. And they were very proud of their number count, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's success, right? You got 15 rentals, you got 80 rentals, and everybody wants to know how. But then when you open up the curtain and look at their books and you open up the mm-hmm. curtain and look at what got them there and what's keeping them there and if anything is keeping them there, and, and it's just a hot mess. It's yeah, like a hot mask girlfriend, you know, and you think, oh, it works great. And then you open up the curtain and go, oh, shit, <laughs> I got to go away. <laughs> this was a mistake. <laughs> yes, this was a mistake, Ron. Um, yeah, you got to be careful because a lot of people do it just for bragging rights yep. and for instant gratification. They're not truly an entrepreneur. They're not truly a person who actually makes the money. I love uh, it. Every, everybody talks. They don't walk. You don't get paid in rental doors. Nope. No, you don't. Uh, what was funny is this last year, uh, several people, I, I made a business decision and I fired off over 150 rentals this last year. Everybody goes, oh my gosh, you're crazy. You're going under, you're going out of business. I was like, no, I'm making a healthy portfolio. I fired off those 150, but I added 200 that were profitable doors. And I changed my whole portfolio out of the 500 mix. And now I'm doing way better to position ourselves for the next stop. That's awesome. And the 150 that were crazy probably were the thing that was keeping the 200 good people away. Yes. They left and like, okay, cool. I'll totally go over there. Yeah, because your attention's on the crazy because they're the loudest screaming kid in the room, mm-hmm. not on the kid that's behaving and not putting their fork in a socket, you know? Exactly. You're, you need to focus on the good and embrace the good. Mm-hmm. And you got to sometimes get out of the weeds to realize there's grass over there. So I love it. We were talking about grinding. What does it mean to you? We all heard the term. So we're going to dive deep into it. Jerry Feta from Wealth Dynamics. What is your definition of grinding? What does it mean to you? So for me, I think of actually a polarized deal. So you got like the four-hour work, work week crew or, or the five-minute work week crew. And then you got the grinding crew. Yep. Um, and I actually think both of them generally are misconceptions. Yep. So like the grinding thing, it's almost um, it's almost like a mindset where somebody feels like it has to be difficult. So like... I've, I've worked 80 hour weeks, 90 hour weeks, and I didn't feel like I was grinding and it's because I was making progress. So it was, it was just a, a sequence of, all right, that was a win. There's the next one. I'm going to go do that. And then I looked up and I I'd worked 90 hours. It didn't feel like a grind. So I, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs get caught up in almost like we just talked about the serial entrepreneur thing as a status symbol. Mm-hmm. I'm a grinder. I don't think you have to be. And at the same time, the four hour work week or the five minute work week, I think that's also a status symbol. In reality, you know, you're, if you're if you're executing on your systems and you're following through on your plan, you don't think about whether you're a grinder or not. You're thinking about, all right, where am I going next and what's the next thing I'm going to do? And we'll get into this at a later show, but uh, I'd say they're highly unethical to be working five hour, five minutes a week or, or 44 hours a week. I would agree with you. <laughs> so, Cass, what is, what is your thoughts on grinding, uh, what it means? Uh, just take us into it. Um, when you're an entrepreneur, you have millions of ideas and millions of things you want to do, and you can mm-hmm. quickly fill up your list with a whole bunch of noise. And, I love it. And really what it boils down is you look at the noise and you have to step back all the time and go, is this producing? Mm-hmm. And if you ask yourself that based on your values and your mission, you'll be able to take it from just busy work to actually producing something that's amazing. And you always have to remember that at your fundamentals every day. It's easy to forget that. I love it. So we got Jerry here. He, you know, you were talking about grinding and, and uh, 
your thoughts on that also with Cass here. And so to kind of combine them, one, we have looking for production and then we have grinding as it, as it pertains to like a title or something that you just say that you're doing, um, kind of a waste of time, uh, really. Um, if you think about it. So like when I think of grinding and, and the people it's that, that say they're grinding, they're the ones out on social media, they're out there, you know, promoting themselves in a way that's like, I'm, woe is me it's a title it's a badge hashtag grind hashtag grind that's right you know so i my idea is to get away from this i'm grinding i'm doing this i'm doing that and be results and production driven you know if you're producing results i don't have time to go out there i mean yes you gotta you gotta promote yourself promote 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 right you gotta you gotta make some wins and you gotta show the world that you're making those wins um but if you're just showing the world that you're working that's expected Mm -hmm. i mean Everyone works, whether you're going to work, you, you know, it, whether it's a 40 hour week, 80 hour week, whatever it is, you're working and you're trying to get somewhere. So why would you show the work, um, especially if you don't have any production behind it? Mm-hmm. And this is one I get fired up about it. Honestly, there's a lot of um, social media warriors that they will actually stage the work to get the perfect picture so that the grinding hashtag looks awesome. Like you're saying, dude, if you're just, if you're working, you're, you don't have to, you don't have to set up work to get the good picture. You're just doing it and, and you can document that you're doing it. You know, it doesn't need to be a new activity. Like, Hey, I'm going to take a break from this and look like I'm working or walking or doing whatever. So I can put it on Facebook and become a grinder. Exactly. Pepper grinder. Yep. It's a lot like, like the R Kelly grinding, like in a club. Like if, so if you're dancing with a girl you can dance with the girl because you want to create romance and have a relationship. And that's like a business, right? It's a long-term thing. Or you can be like, I grind. And that's where you just like twerk on people. It's like an arbitrary, just like you're going in there and just doing that activity. And there's no, there's no product. You know, it's like your business. If you're just that person, I'm a grinder. And I'm going to go out there and arbitrarily grind. You're not going to get the product. It's kind of like, sometimes it just looks like a seizure. So what you're saying, it's a business seizure. Yeah, it's a business <laughs> seizure. And from that business seizure, you're going to get a business STD. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Well, that is the best way that I know how to end our show for this week. <laughs> and Jerry Fetter with Wealth Dynamics. And our very own special guest today, we have Cassandra Tagger at RPM Real Property Management and the Landlord's T- Almanac. Before we let you go, where can they find you, Cassandra? Best place to find us is actually going to be on our social media pages. We've okay. got the meetup.com, the Facebook, and the Instagram. Uh, just Google the Real Property Management or the Landlord's Almanac and you'll find us. Sounds great. And do you have a good email they could send, you know, if they wanted to connect you um, for that? Is there like an admin or, or office email that they could send information inquiries to? Yeah, they can just email me direct. It's fine. Uh, okay. Cassandra at rpmlastfrontier.com. Great. And Jerry, where can they find you at? Hit me up on Instagram at Jerry Feta or on Facebook at Jerry Feta. And for Matthew Lindsay here, you can find me Instagram, uh, Precision Home Group or Matthew Lindsay um, on Facebook there. 